Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with this week's host, Helen Hillix. I'm Todd Benton, your co-host. Today's topic, men and women get real about our sexuality, what it is, what it isn't, and why. And what could it be? Isn't it time we begin to question what we believe is healthy sexuality? Can women get real about their use of pornography or fantasy and stop blaming men and acting innocent? Can we face together the destructive impact on all of us of pornography, Madison Avenue, the media's image of female beauty, and the need to be hot? Join us for a lively discussion as interrevolutionary men and women talk openly about their experiences, old beliefs, and their struggles to change and become conscious about their sexuality. Listen in as our guests discuss what they have done to themselves to try and gain power or security or love through sex, and find out the interrevolution.org's definition of healthy sexuality. And now, here's Helen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. I'm so excited to be here today and so excited for all of our listeners to hear this great discussion about human sexuality. And I hope that it helps you, and I hope that you will send us some comments and Give us some feedback about what you learned and what you feel about what we're saying. So you can write to me anytime at Helen at org. So we're going to start out today with a little bit of interrevolutionary news. I'm not going to do a lot because we have a lot to do today. So we thought it was a perfect segue, though, about this topic, even though we had this topic chosen before the Trump tapes came out. We still thought it was a great boost for our show. Uh, and everybody knows what I'm talking about already, I'm sure, when Trump was on a bus with Billy Bush, uh, going to appear as a cameo on Days of Our Lives, talking about how he wanted to have sex. And I'm using very cleaned up language here uh, with a married woman and that he tried really hard to get her to have sex with him. And now he's describing how she has new fake breasts and Then he goes on about his behavior with beautiful women and how he kisses them and grabs them by the genitals, not his word. And then let, and they let him because he's a star. So, and I also thought it was so interesting. There was huge backlash, of course, and, and everyone saying what, what a horrible person he is and everything. And of course we think his behavior was terrible and inappropriate and a horrible message and a horrible role modeling for our country I can't imagine what other countries must think of him and us having this be a presidential nominee. But I also thought one interesting thing afterwards, I saw this on Facebook, that Billy Bush is losing his job at NBC Today show for his comments egging on Trump. And isn't it crazy that we hold our news anchors to a higher standard than our presidential candidates? So that that was crazy. And and everyone is, you know, he's saying this is just locker room talk. And then, of course, all the pundits are saying, oh, this is horrible and he should be cast out and so forth. When we know that some of these pundits are doing exactly the same thing or want to do the same thing. Uh, so there's a lot of hypocrisy involved, too, on both sides. And one of the people that I heard discussing this was an interview with a former pro basketball player who said this is not actually what they talked about in the locker. But it is adolescent fantasy 
and certainly objectifying women. So this appalling behavior points out why we are highlighting sexuality this month and the need to examine what we have learned and how desperately we need to change course. So the second thing that I'm reporting on today, Beth Green sent us an article from the Washington Post by Dr. Ross Green called Child Psychologist. This is how to raise human beings who are ready for the real world. It's about collaborative parenting. So this was a fantastic article about how we have to learn to give up the illusion of control and we have to take three steps when a child is not reaching expectations, whether that expectation is that they brush their teeth or they make a B or whatever. But the three steps are first you talk and listen to the child and let them tell you their feelings and their perspective about the issue and you take your time. Then you get to share yours. Then you come up with a collaborative resolution that addresses both of your concerns. If we were raised to be collaborative, it would be it would inevitably lead to different romantic dynamics too and it couldn't help but lead to more equality with men and women and a different kind of sexuality so i thought even though this is talking about raising kids it's definitely still relative because that's when we begin to learn about sexuality is when we're little and so if we learned collaborative resolving of of all of life's problems when we're children, human beings, men and women, would have such different relationships and consequently such different sexuality. Next is an article from US News about how much more time girls spend on household chores than their male counterparts. And this really was so sad to me. They were talking about like the 5.5 billion young girls they're talking about. And a lot of those kids are in the developing countries of Africa and Asia. And this affects the girls' images of themselves and their self-esteem and what they think they can do with their lives. They were talking about that 79 girls go to high school for every 100 boys in sub-Saharan Africa. And, of course, this is also a lot about very early marriage happens there and that females just think that this is their lot in life. And I thought this also relates to our show today because women are taught that they are supposed to please their man and not speak up about sexuality and their feelings. So this too, we need an inner revolution where all kids get an equal education and equal opportunities. And then one more article that Beth sent us also about um, that's from the Huffington Post And it was American Muslims stand in solidarity with indigenous people fighting for sacred land. And this article is a great example of oneness, accountability, and mutual support. It's about the Sacred Stone Camp in North Dakota fighting a pipeline going across their sacred land. And Christian groups and Jewish groups and now Muslim groups are all joined with the indigenous tribes to fight this pipeline. And we love to see this because it's people standing up for other groups than their own. And we have to do this if we're going to move forward. So, And I just read a little article about um, Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, you know, like 100 years ago or more than 100 years ago, was saying the same thing, that we have to come together 
we have to learn to love and accept and, you know, he used the word tolerate, but uh, all the different opinions in order to have peace on earth and not kill off humanity. And we're still trying to do it today. So I thought that was a great article about how people are doing that today uh, around the sacred land, uh, the stone, the sacred stone camp. So that is interrevolutionary news for today. And now we're going to switch gears and talk about male, female sexuality, what is healthy sexuality, what it is, what it isn't, and what it could be. So I'd like to introduce um, our guests for today. We, our first guest is my co-host, Todd Benton. You want to say hi? Sure. Sure. Hello. Hi, Todd. Thank you so much for joining us. And it just so happens that our second guest is married to our first guest, and this is Christine Benton. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Christine. I'm totally, completely terrified. I, I love being on the radio, but this is not my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, yes. and it just so happens that our third guest is married to the host. So would you like, Richard DeSanto, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I very much would. This is Richard. I'm happy to be on the call. Thank you. I'm happy to have you here. So, we we are all nervous, I'm sure, about talking about this topic because it's not something that we talk about that often and especially not out in the world. But we want to get really real today and we're going to be very open and we really appreciate the support of a listening audience to send us chi to help calm our nerves and help us to feel safe really exposing our pain about this topic because we know we represent everyone out there no matter what you think you feel about your sexuality we all have pain about it and that's why we're talking about it today we consider it to be part of the inner revolution that's happening on the earth and that we need to you know change the way we feel on the inside so that we can change the way we behave on the outside so i we want to start out with uh just a couple of comments about what people believe is healthy sexuality and the inner revolutionary definition of sexuality is that sex binds on the physical plane what is already bound on the spiritual plane. And that is an extremely simple definition, and we will talk about it more later in the show. But it, it really says it all from our perspective that Unless you are bound on the spiritual plane, whatever you're doing on the physical plane is not going to be as full and as rich an experience as it could be. I'm hearing a lot of feedback. I don't know if uh, Richard needs to mute or... Yeah, I can hear a little bit too. And I, I want to talk about that though, Helen, if I Please, can Please go ahead. Hop in. Um, yeah, I don't think that's the uh, definition of sexuality I grew up with. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Um, I, I feel like we all needed to have you around as like our aunt, like giving having this conversation, you know, when we were, you know, 11 or 12. But 
I think that growing up, sexuality was first for me, first and foremost, something to be ashamed of. Um, it, especially for girls. Um, then later, it became a tool for power, um, and kind of, um, you know, like a good bad thing. Like there were times when I had sex with, you know, partners that I didn't really feel like I wanted to. It was like kind of like an obligation of the relationship and we didn't have that connection that, that you were just um, kind of alluding to of, you know, binding on the physical plane what's present on the spiritual plane. I, I couldn't agree more and I certainly did not have that definition when I was growing up in the 60s. You know, uh, Richard and I both were from that era, although he had a very different experience than I did. I grew up with progressive kind of parents who were both university professors. And, uh, you know, the attitude was, hey, whatever you want to do is okay. And, uh, you know, I really had no, no guidance on it, honestly. And so back then, it's like free love abounds. And I had so many sexual partners and felt so horrible about myself, you know, got pregnant as a teenager, had abortions. I mean, it was just a horrible, really a horrible experience. And honestly, I never, I I mean, I can't say I didn't enjoy sex at all, but my real enjoyment of sex didn't come until I met Richard at 57 years old. And I had had tons of sex before that, but I never, honestly, I think that I never felt relaxed and connected on that spiritual plane. So I'm with you, Christine. That's certainly not what I learned. What about you, Richard? You know, that really touches me, Helen, to hear you say that, because like Christine, even though we had different upbringings and were from different generations, I was raised in a very repressive, excuse me, um, system that was male-dominated, and there was never any discussion about sex at all. Um, and so, and, there were, and I felt a lot of shame about it. So, and, and you know, and it, as, as an adolescent, it's just natural to want to explore things and have, you're having sexual feelings, but that wasn't something that I felt like I could do. So, in effect, what I did is go underground because of the shame and, and the, the background and the thinking that I had at that time and really started and also because of really the, I was very shy in high school and I went to an all-male school so I didn't really know how to talk to girls but I didn't have to when I picked up a pornographic magazine you know I and I could I wasn't really relating but I was using that certainly as a substitute um, and as I got older and did date um, and did was with different women. I really don't think that I had any kind of a spiritual relationship like you described that that we have. And um, you know that actually makes me kind of sad now because it it was it feels like I was just pursuing something that I, was not achievable. That um, you know that that I didn't. What I was really looking for was connection and intimacy but I was just substituting the sex act for that. 
I, I really appreciate what you're saying, Richard, and I think I, I want to emphasize that because, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the one of the most prevalent feelings I I believe people have about sexuality is shame, and I want to people from this show to be able to really experience a healing on that level and to realize that there's nothing shameful about it and that it is a very natural uh, urge and longing but that the the real the real longing underneath it is exactly what you said Richard and that is the longing to connect to be really back in the oneness and this is kind of getting sort of abstract and I don't want to take off in that direction very far but if if oneness is where we all began then sexuality is one way of experiencing that oneness with another person and that's where this the spiritual connection comes in is that we're really longing to get back to that state of oneness and even pornography is a lame attempt to do that and we'll talk a little. We'll talk a little later. Uh, uh, Irene did some fabulous research, and Chris summarized it for us. And I want to thank them openly on the show. There's a lot of great research about this, um, and I guess I'll just weave it in now. One of the things they were talking about was that men don't believe that there is a negative impact from watching pornography, but in fact, research has shown that it does impact their relationships negatively. That the women whose partners watched porn regularly thought less of those partners and saw porn as more of a threat to the stability of their relationship. And that porn-free relationships are stronger with a lower rate of infidelity, which that kind of really surprised me. They found that people who didn't view any porn had lower levels of negative communication with their partner, were more committed to the relationship and had higher sexual satisfaction and relationship adjustment, and that their rate of infidelity was 50% less. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Watching porn diminishes relationship commitment. Watching porn reminds you of all the potential sexual partners out there, which in turn lowers your dedication to the person you're actually with. And it also leads you to swap out the person who's actually lying in bed with you for some fantasy person you've never met. So Yeah, I'm sure to the mind it seems very real, you know, that you are with another person when you're fantasizing about that woman in porn. Yeah. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to give Todd a chance before my feeble mind forgets to ask him the question, too, of uh, what what you thought about sexuality before now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, um, I was very similar to Richard in that I didn't have any education on it, you know, um, and um, so I, 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 uh, <laughs> I had my first sexual experience when I was 18 and my first sexual intercourse when I was 18 with a woman that was that I worked with that was many years older than me but I didn't have that connection you're talking about and I had you know many other relationships I think when I learned how to meditate when I was like 24 is when I started getting interested in in having something beyond just a purely physical carnal kind of you know fulfillment of those fantasies 
Um, but it still didn't um, really come into its full expression until, uh, you know, my relationship with Christine. So, and we didn't get together until I was like 38 years old. So that's a lot of years of just, you know, kind of uh, groping, uh, excuse the pun, you know, kind of struggling, (laughs) struggling to find my way, you know, and, you know, I, I know I was interested. I'm a sensitive person. I know I was interested in having that, but I, you know, in the culture at large, there's no role model. There wasn't in my family. My, my dad was married six times. I know he was having sex with other women with every single one of his wives. So, you know, that's what I kind of grew up with. And I, I knew I didn't want to do that. But at the same time, I didn't know what the positive alternative was. You know, so I, I think that's enough on or that kind of expresses my experience. Well, thank you, Todd. And I, I think what you're saying is very important too because the image of what you should be Mm. as a man and a woman has been discussed here is you know the man should be hypersexual he should want sex all the time and so you know you're supposed to want sex all the time and be very virile and manly but you don't want to look like Donald Trump. So you, you know, so you find other ways, you know, and that I think feeds into the pornography industry for sure yeah. uh, with how men are supposed to look. And of course, women are supposed to be thin and young, no matter, you know, what, what age you really are, you're supposed to look thin and young and beautiful. And, you know, I had Irene do some research about, about that. And, one of the things that she came up with was about how being attractive, quote unquote, you know, that we have these very, very rigid standards about what is attractive in our culture and how it keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And that at this stage of our um, social development in, I think it's 25 years ago, even top models weighed only 8% less than the average woman. And now they weigh 23% less than the average woman. Mm. And the, the current media ideal for women is achievable by less than 5% of the female population. And they were saying that along with all of the facial structure that has to go along with that, that it's like less than 1%. Uh, so it's, it's really shocking how and how much this has to do with how we feel about ourselves as sexual beings that we think if we're going to be sexy or quote unquote hot that you know for men they have to be you know they have to look this way now men the research showed that men don't they they over exaggerate the attractiveness <laughs> their own attractiveness <laughs> and that that men think they're more attractive than they actually are and that women think they're way less attractive than they actually are. And of course, fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. The only, the only group of men who are, uh, who underestimate their attractiveness are gay men where attractiveness is, is a much higher premium. It's more like, it's more like in the female uh, realm, but, uh, they, I can't remember all the statistics they gave, you know, that 
billions and billions of dollars is spent, of course, on plastic surgery and how many people are getting plastic surgery and that breast, you know, guess what? Breast augmentation is the biggest one, um, the biggest percentage of of uh, plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah, I think what this brings up, Helen, is and one of the reasons we wanted to have this topic and this discussion is a couple of weeks ago, the men from the Interrevolutionary Men's Group uh, were on the radio, or, or a few of them were, and they were talking about, um, you know, just um, their own relationship to, to sexuality and, and dominance and all of it, and I think that you know part of the inspiration for this show was that we, as women, wanted to talk about our part in co-creating that paradigm. Thank of, you. Yeah, yeah, and that is so true that we like to blame the men and mm-hmm. say that men are the only ones who watch pornography, for instance. But the research that Irene provided and Chris summarized said that 71% of 3,000 women who were interviewed said that they use pornography regularly. And that just blew my mind. Yeah. You know, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, tw- I think 12% of those women said they they got a pornography hit, quote unquote, hit every day. 30% said that they uh, watched it twice a month and something like 30% once a week and then that 12% every day. And a very low percentage of those women, like 10%, are watching the pornography with their partner. Hmm. So so you you cannot say... That they're forced to, yeah, that they just have to, but they're seeking it out on on their own. Um, Well, I can't say that I'm part of that 71%, but um, it kind of surprises me that it's that high. But, you know, I can get it. I'm sure that everyone can project their fantasies onto pornography, whether you're the male and you're, you know, going to get the woman and however that looks to you, or you're the female and you're feeling, you know, that you're incredibly attractive. Um, And I do have a friend right now who has kind of just acknowledged to her friends that, you know, she, I don't know if she would call it a porn addiction, but that she's used it quite a bit. And it's been really hard for her to acknowledge since there seems to be so much like shame and stigma around it. But I can see that women could, you know, get the same type of something out of it as men could from a different perspective. Well, and I, I'm, I'm happy to know actually about the 71%. You know, I, I tried to find some pornographic images about 20 years ago when I was single. I thought that it, it might be fun. And I looked and looked, but I could not find anything that was appealing to me. Mm. And I remember one of the reasons I think I got turned off to pornography so young, you know, maybe 40 years ago, was because the only two or three pornographic movies I ever saw were so totally about the man getting off. Mm-hmm. And it made me sick because, mm-hmm. that you know, it was like, I don't want to relive what I'm actually experiencing in my life, <laughs> in my fantasy, for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah. 
So they need to, well, maybe it's improved since then, you know? You know, like, maybe it has, I don't know. Or maybe the women who are doing it are so brainwashed into the, you know, the role of women that that it turns them on. I, I have no idea, but um, I, I just think it, I'm happy to know how prevalent it is, especially as a counselor in my everyday life. I really need to know that because I, I'm sure I've had lots of clients who are using, female clients who are using pornography, and because I found it so disgusting, it never entered my mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really want to equalize this conversation and say that this is something that's happening in our whole culture mm-hmm. that we all need to be aware of, that something is missing between us. Isn't that what you guys get out of it? Yeah, there's a sense of power that uh, both the men and the women feel in using pornography. Uh, you know, the man, the the women, the power to attract and to feel sexy and to feel hot, and for men, the power to control and you know carry out their own their fantasy. Uh, so it's it's very interesting um, how those two play on each other. And uh, like you said in the introduction, that generally it's looked at as a man or like the bad ones, and the women are like you know. But we're both playing our part in it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I remember as a young woman, you know, my whole goal in life was to look sexy. And, you know, it's still hard for me at 67 years old not to want to look sexy. Mm -hmm. You know, and that makes me sad to say it. You know, I remember I wouldn't, I I was a redhead and I, very pale uh, and you know, my eyelashes and so forth. I would never leave the house, never leave the house. I wouldn't even think of it without makeup. And it's only been within the last year that I have been, you know, toying with not wearing makeup for weeks at a time. And it's been so liberating. And isn't Uh that a sad, isn't that a sad statement about our culture? Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it's not about what a, what a person, you know, what I am as a person, who I am as a person. You know, it's about whether I'm attractive to men. I mean, it's, you know, it, so do, do women play our part? You bet we do. Totally. I can totally relate and cop to all of that. It's, it's kind of weird because uh, I think that I've had like a self-protective mechanism that has made me not want to look like I'm trying to be too attractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah. What well, what do you have well, to say about that? Well, I was saying it's in. so it's so convoluted, is what I'm saying. We it are, is so it's convoluted, so confused, confusing and convoluted. That's what I wanted it, to say. It is because, like, okay, well, sexuality is shameful, right? So, like, that was really instilled in me. I mean, my mom called me a like a uh, what did she call me? Like a like a bad word of a prostitute. Um, when I first wore makeup at age 12 and that makeup was foundation, it wasn't like lipstick or eyeliner or anything. And, um, and later I talked to her and she said, you know, she just really did not want me to get pregnant as a teenager. And she was just trying to protect me from that. But I just really internalized like sex is bad. Um, to the extent that I didn't have intercourse till I was 20. And even when, um, I remember when I was first found out that I was pregnant I, you know, I saw that little line on the pregnancy test and my first thought, even though, you know, Todd and I had been married for two years, my first thought was, oh my gosh, 
now people are going to know that I've had sex. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know, right? They're going to call you a slut. They're going to call me a slut, right? Um, I'm here. I've been married for two years. and But now I'm pregnant. I'm going to show people to know I've had sex. So you could tell how kind of like messed up it is in here. But can you imagine having that, but at the same time trying to be attractive all the time? Because that's like, that's that's the 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 capital for women right is our that's our power is our ability to attract and or that's how it has seemed to me so um i would say in any fantasy that i have you know it's all about um having that power and being you know really attractive to somebody yes and i have yes makeup and hair and, um, you know, whatever I thought would make me more attractive, a, a friend of mine used to make fun of me because um, I used makeup to try and look more white. I'm half Asian. And she said, I thought makeup was supposed to make you look more exotic. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just like the things, the crazy things will do. And I've, I've done all of those things to, you know, for my vision of what would make me look more attractive, more valuable, more wanted. And I think one of the things Beth has said before is that, you know, we go for power when we don't believe that we'll get love. And I think I was pretty, pretty convinced early on that I wouldn't get love. And so I, I definitely went for that power and definitely was part of this collective that's creating this dynamic between men and women. And I think that's a very, very important thing you just said about if you don't believe you can have love, you'll go for power. And that uh, the women's way of being powerful is to attract some sort of a, you know, a prize man. And Mm -hmm. the man's way of having power is to have control over some sort of attractive woman. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's it. That's the dynamic. That's how we play it out. One of the things I recently saw a video uh, about how two magazines that they studied, Cosmopolitan and Elle, that 85% of the content of Cosmopolitan is paid promotion or advertising. And all of that promotion is to make you feel bad about how you look and they will provide you the answer to fix yourself. And the same thing with Elle magazine, that it was something like 58% or whatever. But it's all about making women feel bad about themselves so that they will spend these billions and billions of dollars. And I'm not saying men's magazines don't do some of the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to smell like this and look like this or or you're not going to get the woman or you're not going to get the man. Yeah. Richard, did you have something to say? Because I can... Yeah, I, I do. Actually, I want to take the conversation back a few minutes to when you were talking about women and men using pornography. And the, the word that came to my mind was disconnection. Um, because when, I, I think pornography, because it, it goes moves into a fantasy level, mm-hmm. it creates disconnection from ourselves, from our real feelings, and that we can, it's a way to, for example, if a woman is, or a man, it doesn't really matter, if a person is feeling like they're missing something, they don't have the kind of relationship they want, or there's some some level of dissatisfaction or 
prob- probably mostly around the relationship, whether it's work, personal, whatever. But that almost is a substitute, you know, mm-hmm. and it and it pulls you out of reality, and it doesn't it doesn't change anything. I mean, it doesn't change. It doesn't help improve the relationship at all, or help any kind of connection fostering. It just feels like it creates more distance to me. And that's your experience. Well, looking back on it now, yeah, that is my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And at it also, I was trying to look at it from a bo- the broader sense of of how. The word alienation comes to mind, which we don't use much today, but when I was growing up, it was used frequently. And how, you you know, we talk about wanting to be connected to people, and yet there's still a lot of times where we don't feel that way. There's still a lot of loneliness and still a lot of separation. I mean, look at our political situation right now. There's just incredible separation and division Mm -hmm. there. And And I think that represents, you know, in... It, the same thing can be applied to this. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at it too broadly, but that, mm-hmm. that's how I see. That's how I, I see don't think it. it I think I don't think it's too broad. I think you're making a mm-hmm. really good point, Richard. That that it feeds the separation. It feeds the alienation when you go instead of going toward trying to figure out ways to connect. We go for the things that feed the disconnection. Yes, right, thank exactly. You. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you, Todd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I want to go back to that because that was part of that research study again about the effects of pornography. And of course, it's equal for men and women, I'm sure, is that you're less satisfied with the person you actually have. And so it's not just that it doesn't make things better. It actually makes things worse wherever mm-hmm. you are because you, you are less satisfied with the reality because you're putting no energy into it. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, you're not putting the energy into trying to resolve the distance that you feel. You're just escaping from the pain. And, of course, this is our whole society and all of our addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to deny that, you know, and go, oh, no, no, that may be for the rest of those schmucks, but that's not how it is for me. (laughs) You know, I can, you know, do this and it doesn't have any effect on me, you know. Right. So that's the challenge. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I want to really make the, the case that pornography has a uh, detrimental effect on not just you, but on all of your relationships, because I think that's uh, a, a major impact that that would be a tremendous inner revolution for sure. If somehow we could, if somehow we could make a dent in the pornography industry. Helen, yeah, and how um, people redirect that energy toward uh, toward healing and towards the things that are going to feed their ability to connect, which is, I think, you know, what Richard was getting at. It's it's a very difficult thing. How do you teach people? Well, it's not that difficult, but you you know, you have to focus on the right thing to learn how to connect and to, to get beyond your own ego telling you, you know, they're a jerk, they don't want me, um, all those things that the ego tells us, right? Helen? Right, okay. I see that we have a caller. Yeah, I just wanted to note that. Uh, okay, thank you. James in Oregon, go ahead. We weren't asking for uh, callers yes. today. Uh, hi, this is uh, James Maynard, and uh, uh, I'm happy to hear this show. It's a wonderful show. And I wanted to make a comment and a question. 
uh, I just wanted to share a comment that was made uh, recently by Michelle Obama on this uh, recent stuff regarding Trump and, and that kind of behavior. And, and she said, the belief that you can do anything you want to a woman, it is cruel, it is frightening, and the truth is hurts. The truth is it hurts. She added, we can't expose our children to this any longer, not for another minute, not, for, not alone for four years, unquote. So I thought that would be a, a very, that's a very powerful statement. But what I wanted to ask is, um, I love the theme that you uh, have put out there to set the framework for the show, which is that sex unites what already exists on the higher levels and spiritual levels. And I'm wondering if you could share with us how people could go about uh, learning how to do that, resources that might be available for people. Uh, I understand that uh, Beth has taught a program on sex and spirituality, for example. Uh, Does the couples group uh, help uh, people along that line? Uh, I wonder if you could share some of the the resources that people might be able to utilize to, to get to that better, higher, more fulfilling, more whole level. This kind of well, experience. you're you're reading my mind, James, because that was the next question. That's our next topic. <laughs> That's exactly our next topic. Is, Wonderful. You know, Wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. So, okay, How I'll have listening to it? Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, you bet. Bye bye. So that, that is so funny because that is exactly the next question. Is you know how has your sexuality changed now that you? do participate in in the interrevolutionary way of doing what we call sacred circles and as James was referring to the couples group and the couples workshops that we do um yeah talk, I could talk to talk that. that go ahead yeah um well first of all it just introduced that that whole concept uh of sex not just being a physical act which i i've actually heard some people say that it is you know it's just sex it's just physical um but there's so there may be that dimension to it but there's so much more available when there's there's connection and one of the things that um you know, we participated in in, in uh, couples workshops with Beth Green, initially called Sex and Spirituality, and then Couples. Um, but it it was really about just sitting across from each other and creating what we call the sacred circle. So this is a, it's a safe place. Um, whether you want to put candles around your you know your bed or whatever, but you're kind of designating as a couple that you know it's sacred. And it's starting just by connecting with each other, sending energy back and forth is one way um, at um, what are called like the chakras or like energy centers at the root and at the heart and at the, um, the, the forehead, the third eye. And um, so you're feeling yourself connecting on an energetic level. And I think it's easier that way not to feel so alone because you're already without even like you could be fully clothed, you know, and do this and you're, you're having a a form of a a sexual experience. And we did that for a while without it, you know, turning into sex. And, um, I think one of the things that helped for autonomy is just to establish that connection and trust. And, um, and then if we weren't feeling the connection, there's probably some resentment or something going on on one or both sides. And it gave us the opportunity to clear it up and get in communication. So it was kind of like a test, a litmus test for, you know, how the relationship was doing also and would help us identify things to clear up. Um, The other thing I would say that helped is that um, 
you know, the, the workshops were very healing around certain parts of our bodies that we didn't feel good about, um, you know, and really healing that, like, it's hard to be engaged, you know, naked with another person when you're really like hate a part of your body. Um, and it could be because it's too big or not or whatever, or it could be just because you had an experience, uh, you know, with that part of your body negatively at some point. Um, so those are, those are a couple of the things that, you know, I really remember. And, um, I would agree with Todd. I think he said earlier, you know, it wasn't until we kind of got into this that we, that he really experienced kind of a, a sacred connection and a different way of, of experiencing sexuality. And I would say the same is true for me completely. Um, because before, like, I would think my job in sex is to remain attractive through through the process, right? Because <laughs> that's my job and my role. So I have to look good and look attractive and, and everything like that. And for me, looking attractive is very serious. And, you know, I'm going to be serious and exotic. Um, but I noticed with Todd and myself, like, a lightheartedness. We laugh sometimes. I notice sometimes we could be having sex and I'm just happy. Sometimes I'm like chirping, like I'm so happy. Um, so that's very different than of, you know, what I'm, anything I've seen really of what, you know, sex is supposed to look like. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, I love your description of being lighthearted and happy. I remember, I think it was years ago uh, on IR radio that Beth did a show with James about sex and aging. Mm-hmm. And uh, it I really resonated with me because I'm, I'm like five years younger only than Beth. And the, the factor that she, she said made the most difference in enjoying sexuality was relaxation and safety. Mm-hmm. And those those exercises that you're describing about you know doing the sacred circle and connecting to whatever you think of as the source God you know the Holy Spirits angels whatever whatever uni- the, the nature of the universe um, whatever brings you into that feeling of oneness brings you that sense of safety and perspective and that is going to help you relax. And I think I love the exercise, too, about which part of your body do you not like. And then your your partner, even if they don't like the part of your body either, they had to say, I love your stretch marks, for instance, because they look like beautiful pink rivers, you know, running through your skin or, you know. And so it really challenges your partner to connect to the real person again to the real you and to learn to love all those aspects of your body and to understand that the more they love all the aspects of your body, the more they're going to enjoy the sexuality between the two because you're both going to feel safe and relaxed. And that's an effort. Sometimes that's an effort that you have to make to learn to love that part of, of your partner's body that they don't love. So it kind of goes back to that, uh, what the research was saying that, that if you don't use pornography, and I want to throw something in here too, that sex toys are the same thing. Um, 
if you use sex toys, you're it's like you're doing the same thing. You're you're introducing something that isn't really between you and your wife. But if you spend the energy to learn how to love and 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 really connect to each other, then it's going to be way more exciting with any of the, without any of that extraneous stimulation. Yes, and let's say you and your partner, because we're all kinds of different relationships. Yes. Yes, I, I slipped. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. We certainly don't care who your partner is, you know, as long as they're a consenting adult who, you know, and you're in love with one another. So, absolutely. Um, you know, what I, I would like to add something, too. <clears throat> I've experienced amazing transformation in this area. Um, it hasn't been easy. Sometimes it was very challenging to do it, and a lot of times I felt like I didn't want to. But it's made such a difference because in deepening our relationship in this case, I'm talking about my relationship with Helen, and um, I, that would not have happened before. I. This is not, our marriage is not my first, and I know in the other marriages that I've been in, that didn't occur. There wasn't the support, the help, um, to to find out what was really going on in our heads and how we could connect in a different way. And I, I think for also, I don't know if this is personality or background or what it is, but you know, it, it's hard for me. I, actually, it, it doesn't seem hard now on the show that I'm talking like this, but um, generally, I, I would never discuss sex with men or women. I just didn't do it. You know, it goes probably goes back to that shame thing. So being a part of a group that works on this together and then seeing and feeling the difference it makes in, you know, my partner and our relationship has just been, uh, it's been a blessing, really. Thank you, Richard. That's very mm-hmm. touching. And I completely agree that it's it's been in the closet too long. And Absolutely. That's, you know, that's why we're having these shows is let's bring it out and talk about it in an open, respectful way and learn. Helen, do we have, do you know the exercises that we've been talking about, plus maybe some of the others like on the website or can people maybe email you and we can get those together and and send them out like I just think it would be great for people to have access absolutely um, absolutely they're not on I, the website they're no. not on the website but we are working on our other couples group was working on putting together some of those exercises to make them available so uh, Helen if you could you know give your email and if people want or interested they could contact you absolutely uh, yeah. it's Helen Helen H-E-L-E-N at the innerrevolution.org um, one of the other exercises that I remember that was very healing for me with my promiscuous past and just uh, so much self-hatred from that experience was an exercise in which we told our partner every way that we had abused our bodies or allowed our bodies to be abused. And we did it one, we shared it one experience at a time back and forth and at the end of of sharing that experience we would say and I forgive myself 
and I love and trust myself or something like that. I don't remember the exact words, but that was a very powerful exercise um, and one that helped me tremendously in letting go of some of that self-hatred because so many people in my generation, and I'm sure nowadays too, I don't care whether people think they are not influenced by uh, the belief that they should or should not be promiscuous or casual in their sexual relations. It has an impact. So people need this kind of healing experience where they can feel cleansed and really open to receiving their partner in a, in a complete way, body, mind, and spirit. And we do have exercises for that. Another one that comes to my mind is the exercise in which the giving and receiving exercises, and one person would be the receiver and one person would be the giver, and they would just provide a, you know, a sensual experience to the partner. It would not be completely genital, but a sensual experience all over their body, and if if something came up, you know, a painful feeling came up, they would stop and talk about it, and you know, just that experience of being nurtured and, and wanted again in that complete way was a, another magical kind of experience and sometimes painful. Sometimes the partner got off and, you know, got too involved in stimulation or whatever. And that's one of the things that we teach also in our couples group is whether it's in an exercise like that or it's right during intercourse, as as Christine was alluding to earlier, if something comes up and you're feeling uncomfortable, you need to stop and say so. Can we stop for a moment and, and talk about this because this is coming up? And that is definitely not something I was you know, ever used to doing, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, no, you don't, you don't say anything that's going to get in the way of your partner's uh, fun, (laughs) you know, and satisfaction, or he won't want you anymore. So that was a tremendous liberation for me, too, is that if something is coming up, you need to say, I'm I'm not feeling connected. Mm -hmm. And Richard and I've had that on a number of occasions where we both just said, you know, I'm not feeling connected anymore, we need to stop. And then right. we, spoon, we spoon and, you know, talk and reconnect. And sometimes we would re-engage and sometimes that would be it. So we have other exercises too that I'm not remembering right now. But uh, I, I uh, would be happy to talk to anyone and offer the exercises that we have and tell you about all the great support that we have for couples um, I see that we have three minutes left, so you probably should tell us about our next show, Todd. Sure thing. So next week, it's Men and the Ego, a Halloween tale. Ooh. The- Sorry, I'm giving you sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> the Ego is the ultimate hobgoblin. It knocks at the doorway to our minds and warns us, trick or treat. If we don't do what the ego wants, there'll be a price to pay. But if we give in to its every demand, it will give us ego candy as our reward. But is ego candy what we really need? Or is the ego tricking us into thinking that what we need is candy for our egos instead of food for our souls? Mm -hmm. Join us for a Halloween discussion about men and their egos with a couple of interrevolutionary men, James Maynard and yours truly, (laughs) me. (laughs) Together, we'll explore what does the ego want from us. 
What does the ego reward us with? How does that impact us? What do our souls crave? How does the ego punish us when we give ourselves what our souls crave? And also, how are we then vulnerable to either competing with other men or giving in to those who look more powerful than we are? So if you want to stop being haunted by the ego this Halloween and always the ego telling you who and what to be, join us. Thank you, Todd. That sounds like a great show and a wonderful follow-up to this show, actually, because, you know, that's what we're all struggling with is it's the ego that buys into all this BS about what we should look like and how we should perform and all of that. So uh, I think that's going to be a fantastic show. And I want to thank you, Todd and Christine and Richard, for being on the show and being so open and honest today about our own struggles And I also want to encourage our listeners to please let us know that you're there and let us know what you need in terms of support for your partnerships. And in a couple, in two weeks, we're going to have a show about gender outside the box too. So that's going to be another exciting show about human sexuality. And we definitely hope you'll join us and we love you all. And thank you for being there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.